We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. That the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. To be true to ourselves, we must be true to others. I'm asking you to believe, not in my ability to bring about change, but in yours. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode five of Blue Collar Convos. I'm Jordan Roan, your host, and I appreciate all of you taking the time to tune in because we got a great show for you today. Her name is Kamala. Kamala Harris is Joe Biden's running mate. Our last episode, we were continuing to discuss the possibilities about who it could be. Joe Biden had so many tremendous options, and I know that from from all accounts, from the news media and from Joe himself, he really took his time and diligently interviewed and discussed, deliberated with so many close uh, family, friends, and other public officials, and boy, did we get ourselves a fantastic Democrat to run up against Donald Trump and Mike Pence come November 3rd. Kamala Harris, senator from California. This is someone who I have been looking forward to rising to the next level for so long. She was a presidential candidate in the primaries this year. And although she did not garner enough support then to get the nomination. She actually dropped out on December 3rd, 2019. She has made a name for herself now, and her popularity is soaring. She has so much going for her. She has a wonderful background, and she is somebody who is going to be a fierce leader, an advocate for the little guy, for the underprivileged. Why? Because she's lived it. She's been there. She knows what it's like. So I thought it would just be great to start this episode off with just a little refresher. By now, a lot of people know who Kamala Harris is. But just for historical sake, this is someone who, who just a short four plus years from now could potentially be the next president of the United States. But that's a discussion for a different day. Kamala Harris was born in Oakland, California in 1964. She graduated from Howard University, and then she went on to law school at the University of California, Hastings College of Law. She started her life's journey in public service early on, right after law school, in the Alameda County District Attorney's Office. And from there, she went on to the San Francisco District Attorney's Office, and then the City Attorney of San Francisco's Office. So she has had such a long and robust career in law up until that point in 2003 when she was elected District Attorney of San Francisco, a historic milestone in and of itself. But what would follow, obviously, uh, has become much more significant she was then elected Attorney General of California in 2010, re-elected in 2014. And then, in the 2016 U.S. Senate election, she defeated Loretta Sanchez. She became the second African-American woman and first South Asian American to serve in the U.S. Senate when she won that race. I remember watching the news. I remember all the pundits saying back in 2016, this is a rising star in the Democratic Party. And here we are four short years later, and that has turned out to be extremely true. So as a senator, she has advocated for so many different things, including health care reform, path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants. She has advocated for the DREAM Act, banning assault weapons, a tax reform that is progressive, more progressive 
than we've had in decades. And we all remember during those Senate confirmation hearings when she would grill into Trump's nominees. She has made history many, many times in her life. And also, she made history just two weeks ago when Joe Biden selected her to be his running mate after that 2020 primary battle, which it did get ugly at times. But, but that's just the way it goes in these primary debates. You're not going to have each and every candidate come out and start saying to the other how great and wonderful they've been, because in that case, well, no one would have an advantage at that point. So Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they put those behind each other. Joe Biden does not hold grudges. He came out and said that himself. And now we have a history-making ticket with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Obviously, Kamala Harris would become the first woman to serve as vice president. Joe Biden, well, the history he would make is the fact that he would be the oldest president elected. But obviously, no one's holding that against him. Not in this year. So Kamala Harris is somebody that we can all rally around. I know that I was so extremely excited whenever we had uh, got notification. I think, I don't know about you, I got a text message from the Biden campaign. They were doing the thing where you could sign up to get a text to be the first to know. And when I looked down and saw it, it said, I've chosen Kamala. It was immediate fist to the air. A major, major victory for the Democrats just getting her on that ticket. And there were so many wonderful individuals who were in contention. We've discussed them before. On the Twitter account, we've had polls up. And you had people like Karen Bass from California. You had Susan Rice, Elizabeth Warren. I mean, stars of the party now, but also stars of the future. And Tammy Duckworth, Tammy Baldwin... Just tremendous individuals, tremendous public servants, amazing Democrats, and we are lucky to have them representing the American people in all different corners of this country. And I hope, I don't hope I know, Joe Biden will extend invitations to join his administration. But first, we have to get him to win the election, of course, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I wanted to pivot right now to COVID-19 talk, more so what's happening now in the fall as schools are starting to reopen, sports are beginning to be played again. You have a lot of people who are saying, you know, COVID-19 is kind of over, which is completely false and dangerous to say. The Republican National Convention just wrapped up this week. And I believe it was Larry Kudlow, economic advisor for Donald Trump, who said, you know, was, was talking about COVID-19 in the past tense. That sure doesn't help. Every corner of this country, there are people who are refusing to believe that the pandemic is still alive and well and raging. And it is. And there's been a lot of talk about high schools opening up, about sports coming back, and there's been petitions by parents of student-athletes, by coaches. They're going after these school boards, and they're saying, let us play. Let us play, right? And nobody likes telling kids that they can't play sports. I love sports. You out there listening, you may love sports. The majority of Americans love sports. I I've played sports all my life. I've worked in youth sports for the last decade. I worked on state championship football squads. Sports, they're one of the greatest outlets for kids and for youth. And even for, for young adults, adults, seniors, everybody loves sports. Anything that involves physical activity can be defined as sport. However, you know, just like with masks nobody wakes up in the morning and says boy i just cannot wait to wear a mask today right no one's sitting around 
saying, I feel like we should just strip sports away from these kids because we hate sports. No, there's none of that happening. We are in a once in 100 years global pandemic. We can't forget that. We can't hide that from our youth, from these student athletes who, yes, work extremely hard, put in so many hours of work. No one's disputing that at all. But the conversations that need to be had with them by the parents, by the coaching staffs, are, listen, here's what's happening. Here's the severity of this virus. Here's how many American citizens have died as a result of it. And here's what it could do to us, to the grandparents, to the elderly fans who want to sit in the stands. Just like we, in history classes, educate kids about 9-11, we need parents to be teaching a current events class right now. Now, as much as kids in the future are going to learn about COVID-19 in their history books, and it's going to be a lengthy section, we need to be teaching the same thing right now to the kids of today. Because this isn't a history class today. It's a life-and-death situation today. Now, sacrifice is a big word, right? To sacrifice. We're seeing a lot of... A lot about sacrifice on social media, a lot of parents and coaches and student athletes talking about sacrifice, what they've, they've done on the practice fields, what they've done in the weight rooms. That's all admirable. But let's look at the 1940s, right? When America saw so many of its sons and over 500 women die in World War II. Many of them signed up to go to war because they realized what was at stake. Freedom for themselves, freedom for their families, and the freedoms that were enjoyed so greatly and that were at such high risk of being stripped away. Now here we are in 2020. Thank God Almighty our kids are not being asked to go to war. But in a way, they're asked to go to bat, if we want to use sports puns. They're asked to go to bat. They're asked to put down the football. They're asked to put down the trumpet and stay on the sidelines. Here's the key difference, though. We ask these young men in the 40s, who were shipped off to war, and not just the 40s, but also with Korea, Vietnam, all the wars, Iraq. We asked them to go to war, to potentially give up their lives, their families back home, all for the greater good. Today we're asking youth to give up a season of sports. It's apples to oranges. Our nation has built itself up off of sacrifice. But we have so many right-wingers calling science-believing citizens cheap. I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about there. If you're on social media, you're a sheep because you're wearing a mask. You're a sheep because you listen to Dr. Fauci. Well, we, you all remember the term snowflake that they have used to define liberals. Well, listen, you know, we here on the podcast, obviously, not ones to name call, but just a hypothetical. What do you call people who throw tantrums? threaten public officials, and whine about not being able to watch sports. Now I'll let you all decide. And as a side note, 
kids going back in classrooms. It is something that is such a hard decision to make for these governors, for the school boards. But we have to remember something. It's not just about the kids here. It's also about the teachers, the faculty, the staff, those who are entering the front lines of this thing for the very first time. We've talked about the nursing heroes, the physicians, the aides in the hospitals. And now teachers, they're being asked to step up and to step in to a global pandemic as well. And if you are an educator out there, if you are a staff member in the schools, a janitorial professional, we're thinking of you, we're praying for you, and we are wishing you the very best because you're being put in a very difficult situation. Because of course kids need to learn, they need to be educated. But when we have the available technology for many places, I'm not saying that every single city is suited best for remote technology. If the kids can be in the classrooms, absolutely, we want them in the classrooms. But like with sports, there's a cost to pay. Now I'm hearing that, you know, districts are, are coming up with plans and, you know, they're actually setting numbers. Well, how many cases are acceptable to continue in-person classes? Is it five? Is it 10? Do we allow 15 people to have COVID and be sitting at home and continue classes in person? That is how this thing spreads. That is how lives get lost needlessly. Because of greed. Because of thinking it's not going to come here. It does. It's here. And it discriminates against no one. So best wishes to all of you entering the classrooms. Students, staff, everybody. Stay strong. And know that you have millions of Americans and folks from all around the globe rooting hard for you. So we just finished up with the convention weeks. Two straight weeks of conventions. Democratic followed by Republican. And boy, what a stark difference between the two, right? The Democratic convention was filled with so many legends of the past from both sides, Republicans and Democrats uniting together in rallies of hope and optimism for the future. Let me just say, did everybody hear Jimmy Carter? We couldn't see him, of course, but him and his wife, Rosalind. Thank God they're still with us. Thank God that we can hear their voices. It was so refreshing to hear Jimmy Carter, someone who is, you could say arguably, you could say straight up, the best ex-president to ever live, what he's done for the country, but more importantly, what he's done for those around the globe, the vulnerable, the impoverished, a remarkable man who's lived a remarkable life, who's still living at 95 years old, and I put this out there on the Twitter account, but oh, is it going to be a great thing for Jimmy Carter to watch Donald Trump lose in November? We got to all start praying, start sending good vibes that Jimmy Carter and Rosalind are able to be alive and well next January to see the transfer of power, to see hope restored to our land. And then you had former President Barack Obama in Philadelphia. The production design, the production value was just magnificent. You saw the Constitution behind him at the, at the museum down in Philadelphia. And what the way he spoke, you could see him getting emotional. You could see the tears in his eyes. Let's play a quick clip from President Obama at the Democratic National Convention just two weeks ago. I never expected that my successor would embrace my vision or continue my policies. 
I did hope, for the sake of our country, that Donald Trump might show some interest in taking the job seriously. That he might come to feel the weight of the office and discover some reverence for the democracy that had been placed in his care. But he never did. For close to four years now, he has shown no interest in putting in the work, no interest in finding common ground, no interest in using the awesome power of his office to help anyone but himself and his friends, no interest in treating the presidency as anything but one more reality show that he can use to get the attention he craves. Donald Trump hasn't grown into the job. Because he can't. Wow. Barack Obama coming with the heat. This is something that I think we have to take a step back and understand what happened with his speech at the convention. Rarely before, possibly never before, has an immediate predecessor to a sitting president launch such a public and damning contrast to his successor. But that's exactly what President Obama did because he knew that's what he had to do. To quote Hamilton the musical, history has its eyes on you. And for President Obama, history still has its eyes on him. Just because he's an ex-president doesn't mean that what you do afterwards has no significance. We just talked about Jimmy Carter. A lot of significance. Your legacy is being shaped until the day you take your last breath. And President Obama realizes that. And that's why he knew it was his obligation to stand before the American people. The American people who elected him, a black man, two times to become their president. What he did at the convention possibly turned the entire tide of this race. And that's something that history will thank him for. It's something that we thank him for right now. And then we had Kamala Harris. Kamala was supposed to give her address before President Obama, but President Obama decided that they should switch, that he should be handing off the baton to her as the next generation of leadership in this country. Let's listen to what Kamala had to say in her address. Donald Trump's failure of leadership has cost lives and livelihoods. If you're a parent struggling with your child's remote learning, or you're a teacher struggling on the other side of that screen, you know what we're doing right now is not working. And we are a nation that is grieving. Grieving the loss of life, the loss of jobs, the loss of opportunities, the loss of normalcy, and yes, the loss of certainty. And while this virus touches us all, we got to be honest, it is not an equal opportunity offender. Black, Latino, and indigenous people are suffering and dying disproportionately. And this is not a coincidence. It is the effect of structural racism, of inequities in education and technology, health care and housing, job security and transportation. Kamala offering a strong rebuke of Donald Trump, his failed leadership during this crisis. And she made an interesting point. I don't think she was directly saying it, but she was talking to the parents and the teachers who have to deal with remote learning. She said it there at the beginning of that clip. And something that we need to point out is, if it wasn't for the failed leadership of Donald Trump, these children... These teachers may likely not have had to deal 
with the remote learning. Other countries who handled this thing, which is a majority of countries, who handled this thing effectively, their kids are perfectly fine. Their teachers are perfectly fine. Educating in the classrooms. Their kids, they're playing sports again. The parents are able to watch from the stands. The band members out on the field in full force. So we have to ask ourselves, especially when we're voting this November, what is the reason that all of these things were stripped away from us? What is the reason our lives have been turned upside down? Yes, COVID-19 came and it conquered the world. But what failed leadership did is over 25% of total deaths with just 4% of the world's population. Grieving families. Lines stretched for miles trying to get food in cities like Pittsburgh. So what people need to start doing is asking not where did this come from, but why did it turn out the way it did? So wrapping up about the Democratic National Convention, we had our nominee, Joe Biden. Let's listen to one of his clips. This is our moment to make hope and history rhyme with passion and purpose. Let us begin, you and I together, one nation under God, uniting our love for America, uniting in our love for each other. For love is more powerful than hate. Hope is more powerful than fear. And light is more powerful than dark. This is our moment. This is our mission. May history be able to say that the end of this chapter of American darkness began here tonight as love and hope and light join in the battle for the soul of the nation. And this is a battle we will win and we'll do it together. I promise you. Joseph R. Biden Jr., the next president of the United States of America. You know, a lot of people said that was his best speech that he's ever given in his life. And he served for over 45 years in public office. I tend to agree. I think the way he was speaking, the words coming out of his mouth were more powerful than possibly anything I've heard him say before. So the biggest speech of his life turned out to be hopefully the most effective. The polling is still out on just how much of an impact these two conventions really made. We'll talk a little bit about polling later on. But first, the Republican National Convention. Not going to spend a lot of time on this because, quite frankly, it's not worth the time you listening or me speaking. I do want to say one thing, though, about the McCloskeys. You all know the McCloskeys. It's the St. Louis couple, the fear-mongering couple, who stood outside their multi-million dollar mansion with guns, one a pistol, one an assault weapon, and pointed it at peaceful protesters, folks who were not protesting them, folks that were walking down the street. They came out with their weaponry like they were on the front lines of a war. And while they were charged, I'm not sure what the litigation was after that, but they were charged for what they did. And what does the... Republican Party do? The Republican Party comes out and invites them to address the nation at the convention. And the fallout from that has been quite disturbing. Let's play a quick clip. I don't want to give these folks a lot of credit, but let's just play one quick clip from their address because it will provide some context to what I will discuss next. These are the policies that are coming to a neighborhood near you. So make no mistake, no matter where you live, your family will not be safe in the radical Democrats' America. 
Did you hear how threatening she sounded? Mrs. McCloskey there? They go on and on in the rest of the speech, before and after that clip, talking about how they were threatened, their lives were at risk when these evil protesters came onto their street. That's why they felt the need to pull out guns on them. So what does that do what, to the entire country when they speak like that? Well, I'll tell you exactly what it does. That very same night in Trump country, Pennsylvania, a group of peaceful, civil marchers for Black Lives Matter were walking from the Midwest all the way to Washington, D.C. to be at Al Sharpton's March on Washington taking place on August 28th. And an individual living in Bedford County, Pennsylvania, which was the second largest victory per capita, per voter registration totals for Donald Trump in 2016. An individual stepped out of his house with his gun while these individuals were walking down the roadway They weren't causing violence. They weren't screaming or yelling. They were walking through the middle of the night because that's when it was safest without cars. The individual walks out of his house and starts spraying bullets at these marchers. This isn't something that's made national news, but it's something that should. Those on the right, radical right-wingers, sat there listening all night long to the fear-mongering by the McCloskeys, by others, saying that their lives were at risk, that if you see these protesters, you got to fear for your lives. And guess what happened? And it wasn't just in Pennsylvania. It was in Wisconsin. You've seen it on the news, I'm sure. 17-year-old, whose name I will not mention, does not deserve being mentioned, went on a shooting spree, taking out marchers who were protesting the injustice that was done to Jacob Blake, shot seven times in the back by police trying to get into a car. And the 17-year-old took his assault weapon and fired bullets into the head of one protester and then fired more bullets at a gentleman named Anthony Huber, someone whose name deserves to be mentioned on these airwaves. Anthony Huber was the Kenosha County, Wisconsin, Black Lives Matter activist who, while witnessing this 17-year-old gunning down people, at that point, he was an active shooter. Anthony Huber took action. With only a skateboard in his hand, Anthony charged the 17-year-old shooter and tried to subdue him to no avail. Anthony took the skateboard, tried to take out the 17-year-old, and the 17-year-old turned his gun, firing point-blank right at Anthony, killing him on the street. Anthony Huber, lauded as a hero, and that he truly is. So let's go through a pooling update, something that everyone obviously should take with a grain of salt because we saw what happened in 2016. The polls were looking good in many, many battleground states. The pundits said 90% chance Hillary would win, and we saw what happened on that Tuesday night, which we will never forget. So... As we discuss these polls, never forget what did happen in 2016. But let's take a look right now where the polls stand. Polling as of August 28th, 2020. And folks, before we begin, one thing has to be made very, very clear. Things are tightening. They're tightening now. They will tighten even more so. After the conventions are done polling probably taking place right now as I speak, and the numbers are going to get even more narrow. And that's 
not supposed to be something that scares anybody. It's a call to action. We all have to step up to the plate and do whatever it takes to get Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in the White House. We have four debates left. We have three between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, one between Kamala Harris and Mike Pence, and quick aside, who else is so extremely excited to watch Kamala Harris take on Mike Pence in a debate? If that doesn't get you fired up thinking about, I don't know what will. It's going to be a fantastic contrast between two people who have very different visions for our country. Regardless, mudslinging is going to happen. Uh, my proposal that I have is because we all know that Donald Trump is going to lie left and right. The proposal that I've been thinking of is the debates commission, the whole commission, independent, third party that sets all these debates up, they need to hire a third party, nonpartisan outlet that fact checks live on screen in real time as the debates are happening. We cannot let Donald Trump stand in front of the American people and spew falsehoods towards Joe Biden and towards the Democrats. There is no way that any station should be able to carry the debate live unless they sign off with the Debates Commission confirming that they will provide that fact check, whether it's a ticker, whether it's a box on, on the side of a screen. This is a year unlike any other. This is an election more consequential than any other in our lifetimes. And the American people deserve the truth. So let's dig into these polls a little bit with a grain of salt. Today, we have a new pullout from Trafalgar Group. They are a Republican-leaning polling company, but they have Donald Trump leading Joe Biden in Michigan by two points, 47 to 45. I think what we need to take from this poll, what we need to take from most of these polls is that there's a virtual tie in many places and that as of right now, there's no clear winner. Michigan is a must win for Joe Biden. In fact, a couple places that we're going to talk about here are must wins. Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Those three states alone are going to make or break this election for Joe Biden. Pennsylvania, new pullout from Franklin and Marshall, released just yesterday. They have Biden up seven, 49 to Trump's 42. What we're seeing based off of this polling, the trajectory is telling us that Pennsylvania is a little bit more comfortable right now in Joe Biden's column. If we take a look at the real clear politics average in the battleground states, Pennsylvania right now is kind of the leader of the pack for Joe Biden. He's up 5.8% in the real clear averages. Now, on the contrary, we just talked about Michigan. That one pool has Donald Trump ahead. In reality, it's a virtual tie. Real clear has the Michigan average at 2.6%. So it just goes to show that these numbers are so, so razor-thin tight. If we look at Hillary Clinton in 2016, she was leading in these battleground states by a pretty wide margin. I think m more so than Joe Biden is right now in some of, some of these states like Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin. Arizona, Arizona, a state that Democrats feel pretty good about, although still 
probably the underdog just because of the, the demographics haven't shift as much as they will a couple of years from now. Arizona, real clear pool average. Biden, 2.2%. Florida. Florida, another state where Democrats have a lot of hope, but reality is not hope. Florida right now, Biden up 3.7%. Although I just have a hard time seeing Joe Biden win Florida this year. Florida is becoming very, very much a red, a concrete red state. And things look okay now, but I wouldn't put too much weight into Florida turning blue. So where does that take us next? Well, we have North Carolina. North Carolina is a state where Barack Obama lost in 2012 by just two percentage points. Donald Trump took it in 2016. So if you're Joe Biden's camp right now, and you're saying, all right, let's take a look at the map. North Carolina, real clear, has it tied. Not feeling very confident in North Carolina, at least not in this present moment. They're becoming very red down there. So where do we look next? Wisconsin. Wisconsin's where we look next. And John King was just on CNN a couple of nights ago with his map looking how to get to 270 electoral votes. And his map right now shows Joe Biden at 268 electoral votes. Based off of the polling, putting Pennsylvania in Biden's column. I think he was even putting Michigan in Biden's column, which kind of is a interesting place to watch. But the one place where he was adding all these states up, he was throwing Trump, Trump to North Carolina. He was throwing Trump to Arizona. You know, some of the places that, you know, are kind of neck and neck, just giving Donald Trump the benefit of the doubt. And guess what he ended up with? He ended up with Wisconsin being the one state that is going to determine this election. The Wisconsin electoral votes will get one of the candidates over the top, over 270. So taking a look now at Wisconsin, real clear. Average, as of August 28th, has Wisconsin, Biden, up 3.5%, 48 to 44.5. So taking a scroll down, finding the most recent Wisconsin poll, all right, here we have two. So from just this week, one poll, the CNBC poll, has Biden up five points, 49 to 44. The Trafalgar Group poll, Republican-leaning, has Trump up one in Wisconsin. It's safe to say Wisconsin, as of right now, is completely a toss-up state. And we saw it in 2016. Everybody on the left, the Democratic parties, the National Committee, got very, very comfortable with these states. And they said Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, you know, that that blue wall was not able to be cracked by anybody. Donald Trump's not going to do it. That's what they said. And a rude awakening was had on Election Day in 2016. And there's another red flag that was just waved this past week in that state, Minnesota. Trump just visited Minnesota this past week. Let's pull up the real clear politics average in Minnesota. So they have Biden up 5.3, but the Trafalgar group had Minnesota tied on a poll release last week. Emerson pulling released one from two weeks ago. Biden up three. Minnesota? We're talking Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, but Minnesota. This should be worrisome to all listening. This should be worrisome to the Biden campaign. Because for many weeks this summer, we've seen polling having Biden up, up, up. The coronavirus is a major issue. The coronavirus is something that Donald Trump refuses to take responsibility for. 
but 180,000 Americans are dead as of right now. More Americans dying by the time we end this podcast today. So what is happening? Why is this race tightening? Well, naturally, it tightens as we get closer to Election Day. But we're also seeing the right use protests, some peaceful, some not, to their advantage. They're showing advertisements of people, mainly white people, some not affiliated with a party, some affiliated with right-wingers coming in to try and cause destruction, to make it look like democratic states and cities are in turmoil, are in chaos. You saw Donald Trump at the Republican convention come out and say, police are being attacked. They're starting to use this line that Democrats hate cops. That's false. They're starting to use the line that Joe Biden is anti-law enforcement. That's false. But you know what happens on Fox News? Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, they preach this stuff. And their viewers eat it up. And they turn to Facebook. And they type on Facebook to all their friends. Saying Democrats are are anti-cop. Fake news starts spreading like wildfire. Facebook doesn't do much about it. And it gets in front of hundreds of thousands of people. So what can we do? What can the Democrats do? What, what is Joe Biden's campaign going to do about this? Because make no mistake, Donald Trump is going to use protests in the streets. He will use destruction to his advantage, even though it's happening under his watch. Because he knows it works. He knows that the average American out there, the independent, possibly on the fence, when they watch protests happening, they're all for Black Lives Matter. They're all for the peaceful protesters. That's what every poll says. The majority of Americans approved of it. But what's happening now in the polling, in some of these critical states, people are saying, you know what, maybe I not for the looting and the rioting. Maybe Donald Trump is speaking to me when he says that Democrats hate cops. Is it true? Now I'm confused. I was for Joe Biden, but I'm against protests. I'm against rioting. And that's what we're seeing happening. He's weaponizing destruction that is happening under his watch. So to end this conversation on the polling, I'll just mention the national average from Real Clear Politics has Joe Biden up 7.1%, 49.6 to 42.5, although we know that is pretty useless because anybody can win the country in terms of popular votes. Hillary did it. Al Gore did it. But the battleground states are what really matters, so that's where we spend our time on. One thing is for certain, though, my friends, and that is we have a president who will desperately do anything to hold on to power. He's already come out and said, we may never know the results of this election because mail-in ballots are going to destroy our democracy. Completely false. If you have the opportunity to mail your ballot in, Please request it early and send it back immediately. I was making a comparison to a hot potato, right? We all know the game hot potato. We know the song. Think of your mail-in ballot as a hot potato. You request it when you get it back in the mail, it's a hot potato. You got to get it out of your hands immediately. So fill that ballot out with pride and hand it right back to the United States Postal Service, the heroes of this upcoming election. Folks, on January 20th, 2021, a transition of power will take place. It's always been peaceful before, but no other transition has involved stripping the most dangerous president of his authority. If we have to, we'll march on Washington. Michael Moore said on his podcast, Rumble, we will surround the White House and demand a military escort for him to leave. 
It sounds like an exaggeration, but we have to prepare for anything. The country is at stake. As Michael himself said, are you willing to put yourself on the line to save democracy? It's not a radical question. Many Americans have done so in the past. Ask yourself the question. The reality is Trump will, and already is, stoking fear into Americans to scare them straight into voting for him. We have to play as if we're behind. Because the truth is, we very well might be. So as we wrap this episode up today, I have a very exciting announcement to make. And that is something I've been working on for the past seven plus months. Operation Shed the Red, Pennsylvania, 2020. What is it? I'm glad you asked. Operation Shed the Red is a data-driven project to defeat Donald Trump here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Since, really, the beginning of modern-day politics, Pennsylvania has been seen as a battleground state where the key for Democrats has always been Go hard in Philly, go hard in Pittsburgh, and drive up the blue totals and just assume that's going to be enough to defeat all of the red territory that covers the rest of Pennsylvania, the red tea of Pennsylvania, if you will. Central Pennsylvania, northern Pennsylvania, the rural areas. And guess what happened in 2016? It wasn't enough. Donald Trump won the Commonwealth by a mere 44,292 votes. That's 0.072%, the narrowest win in 176 years. Without a change in the traditional strategy, Donald Trump may very well win Pennsylvania again. The polls are tight. So this year, I'm partnering up with a brand new organization, something that I've started, Arc of Justice Pennsylvania. Its namesake, derived from Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous address, the famous quote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Arc of justice, something that we need to strive to create. So our goal with Operation Shed the Red Pennsylvania 2020 is to target a new electorate to target Trump country central and rural Pennsylvania after months of sifting through analytical data we've constructed a massive plan to shed the red and turn Pennsylvania back to blue on November 3rd it's data driven since the start of 2020 the numbers have been crunched, and you can find more information on this in a link below. I'm going to post a link to, number one, Arc of Justice Pennsylvania's official Facebook page. Please go like that page, because that is where all of our strategy is going to be on full display. So what is the strategy for Shed the Red? The strategy is to target Pennsylvania voters who may be Republicans, who may be independents, and put content in front of them that speaks directly to their everyday concerns. This isn't a liberal or progressive strategy. We're not going out and talking about gun control to central Pennsylvania Trump voters. We're talking about Christian values, for instance. We have a series of six videos already created, already produced, written by myself, directed by myself, featuring actual Central Pennsylvanians, speaking to other Central Pennsylvanians and Pennsylvanians across the Commonwealth. Because two parts of Operation Shed the Red 
are involved here. Number one, targeting the central Pennsylvania rural voters. There are 10 counties that we have determined to be targets in Operation Shed the Red. Cambria County, Jefferson County, Clearfield County, Somerset County, Fulton County, Bedford County, Indiana County, Huntington County, Blair County, and Center County. The majority of these counties were massive victories for Donald Trump in 2016. Very little resources, if any at all, were spent on these counties to try and drive down the huge margins of victory that Donald Trump gained. Cambria County, Pennsylvania, for instance. The majority of registered voters in Cambria County are Democrats. By a pretty good margin. So what happened in 2016? Hillary Clinton only got 29% of the vote in that county. So the majority of voters are Democrats, right? The majority. But Hillary Clinton, the Democratic nominee, could not even reach 30% of the vote total. That seems like an outlier, but it's not. So many of these counties underperformed overwhelmingly for the Democrat. We're not saying that these counties are going to turn blue. Quite frankly, they're not going to turn blue. They're going to continue to be red, except for Center County. But the majority of these counties, we have a chance to lower the victory margin for Donald Trump. In effect, shed the red so that Philadelphia and Pittsburgh hopefully will have high turnouts and Donald Trump will lose Pennsylvania. So please go like Arc of Justice Pennsylvania's Facebook page. Also, you can go follow Arc of Justice PA at Arc of Justice PA on Twitter. That link will be in the description for this episode as well. And you can also, if resources allow, donate to Operation Shed the Red on our GoFundMe page. That link is in the description too. Any little bit helps. For $10, you could reach almost 500 Pennsylvanians. Just like that. This content that we are going to be putting out there, I assure you, my friends, is effective. It will work for the people who it's intended to be in front of. I promise you that. Operation Shed the Red 2020, not affiliated with Joe Biden's campaign, not affiliated with any political committee whatsoever. It's an independent collaboration among Pennsylvanians working to defeat Donald Trump. And I am honored to have launched it. I'm honored to be a part of it. I'm so happy that we were able to get so many good people on board and involved to help defeat Donald Trump in Pennsylvania. Republicans, Democrats, Independents coming together to win this thing. Pennsylvania will determine the outcome of this election, but more importantly, the margins of victory that Donald Trump gets will determine the outcome of this election. Take a look at those links below and help out if you can. So that wraps up this episode of Blue Collar Convos. Thank you all for tuning in. We don't have much time left until Election Day 2020, but more episodes will be coming before then. We're going to talk with some people who are major influences in this election. We're also going to talk a little bit more about Operation Shed the Red Pennsylvania 2020 and discuss some of the details with people who are actively involved in starring in the advertisements that will be published for all Pennsylvanians to see. Very much looking forward to that. Thank you so much, everybody. To play us out today, it's former President Jimmy Carter. You hear him every episode in the introduction. You heard me talk about him and his wife, Rosalind, as they addressed the Democratic National Convention just last week. So let's listen to the former president in his own words. Stay healthy, stay safe, and please take care, everybody. You deserve a person with integrity and judgment, someone who's honest and fair. 
someone who is committed to what is best for the American people. Joe is that kind of leader, and he is the right person for this moment in our nation's history. He understands that honesty and dignity are essential traits that determine not only our vision, but our actions. More than ever, that's what we need. In these uncertain times, Joe Biden realizes that many American lives can be saved each day through the use of masks and testing as recommended by our medical experts. Joe Biden must be our next president.